passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting on this Wednesday evening following AEW's anniversary special. We have lots to talk about. How are you doing, Wei? I'm doing okay. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, lots that I got up to in the um, eight hours in between talking with you last. Such as? Uh... I went for a walk. I did some reading. Uh, you know. Okay. Wild stuff. Yeah. Nice. Did you have a, an adventurous afternoon? It's nice out. It's a pretty... Ugh. This is like... A, we're back to like wearing shorts weather. I wouldn't say adventurous. I um, I picked uh, picked my fiance up from work. Um, I had a bit of a workout. Um, showered and had some tacos for dinner. So tacos nice. are always an adventure. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, soft shell, hard shell combination. Uh, I'm a hard shell guy. Yeah, I had seven, seven of them. Seven? Oh yeah, full size like tacos? No, they're kind of smaller. Like they were like, um, like we we made them here, or she made them really. Um, I just ate, and um, they're like you know those like I guess um old El Paso like home store bought ones that yep that are like kind of smaller than like the. The, okay, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Ones. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it got to the point where like I was only gonna have four, but then like, um, we had all these ingredients out, and it's really difficult to like portion out like you know, taco ingredients with like shells. So I had like you know, four more extra like shells just sitting there. I was like, what the hell, let's do it, and um, I'll probably pay for it tomorrow. Uh, live wild way, that's uh, I I'm like that. It's crazy, yes. Taco Wednesday, you know, the, the underrated taco night of the week. Yes, yes. Well, uh, congratulations. That sounds great. Uh, I'm going to uh, – I, I, I'm now craving tacos, so you have definitely left that uh, impression on me uh, by sharing this. Okay. Well, um, tomorrow is a new day. <laughs> tomorrow is. Tomorrow is. Uh, you know, way it's uh, – as I mentioned, you could wear shorts outside. You could also wear – a brand new T-shirt. Uh, do you have any recommendations of where people could get a brand new T-shirt? Absolutely. Store.postwrestling.com. Uh, you don't say. If not a T-shirt, perhaps a toque. We are deep into fall. We're approaching winter very shortly. Now is a perfect time 
to get a brand new tooth to keep that head warm. You definitely do not want to get sick from any any cold anything this 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 winter. And you get your flu shot? Uh, no, not yet. I don't. I don't actually usually get my flu shot. Like I I don't know when the last time I actually got one was, but this year I definitely think I will. So it's um, it's yeah. Like you you're gonna have to wait. I got mine last week. And the the local pharmacy, I mean, they're they're out uh, as of now. And I had to go in the morning. I pre-registered to go get this thing done. I showed up in the morning where I got a number and was told, well, uh, you're looking at a one to two hour wait. I said, well, can you text me? They said, sure, we'll text you when it's time. So I went home and I got a text, I think, seven hours later and had to go back. Oh, geez. Wow. Um, I, I don't know if it's like that all across the city, but I mean, obviously the demand for uh, flu shots this year is probably astronomical. Yeah, I might, I might wait, wait out the crowd a bit. Sorry, I interrupted you. Stay safe, everyone. Buy a post wrestling toque or a t-shirt. Uh, plenty of items at store.postwrestling.com. Yeah, and uh, every week, of course, we give out a free t-shirt to anybody in the uh, the Patreon, uh, Patreon.com/slash/postwrestling. So. Uh, if you don't mind, John, let's draw from the bag. Okay. Okay. Way, uh, I know you're like eyeing several, several different, uh, options. I want you to go with, uh, the furthest one within gra the, the one where it's like, you're just reaching and it's the one like an extra inch further. So I want you to like really go down deep, grab that name. And I know it's a tough one. Maybe this one's going to set us back a little bit on postage, but let's go for it. The winner is Jamie, Jamie McMartin from, I believe this is uh, Ottawa, Ottawa, Ontario. Congratulations to you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ottawa is a man. Well, we'll send it out now and hopefully it makes it by Christmas. Ottawa, Ontario. Congratulations uh, to you. Uh, You're a bit more north than we are. So, um, yeah, Uh, you're going to need some extra clothes. As as Tucker Carlson would refer to it as, uh, the capital of Canada, Ottawa. Yeah, did he say that or was it uh, Ottawa? I can't remember how he butchered it, but it was a way I've never heard Ottawa mispronounced in my life until uh, this goof decided to try and uh, pronounce the capital of Canada. Well, maybe he's right. Maybe that's how the natives uh, uh, you know, originally said it. Um, I don't know. That's actually never been a question that has preceded or followed uh, Tucker Carlson. Maybe he's right. That has never been said, actually, in connection with him. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really familiar with this shit. Well, uh, consider yourself blessed. Congratulations to Jamie in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Uh, you are a proud winner of an item from store.postwrestling.com. So uh, you can go check it out. The Post Wrestling Toque, listen, I swear by it. I love that toque. I have both of them. I think I need one. I I don't know if I have one anymore, but yeah, cool. I'll take your word for it. So Wayne and I have done about 10,000 shows this week. We have covered every single G1 show up until and including today's B block card. So that means 16 G1 podcasts are in the books and we have three more to go. Uh, you can go catch, catch up on all of them. If you're a post wrestling cafe member and I know what everyone's thinking. Wow, they're so deep into the G1s. Rewind away this week. Man, are they going to mail it in. Not a chance. Three hours discussing saliva, 
slash Survivor Series. Saliva Series 2002 <laughs> from Madison Square Garden featuring always King of My World, the Dudley Boys theme, a live performance at the world. I mean, this was if the trope or, or the cliche of WWE and Saliva had an event to fully capture this relationship. It's Survivor Series on November 17th, 2002. Uh Sure. Yeah, well said. It, I really enjoyed the show. It was, I mean, I love that particular era when the brand split still felt somewhat significant, uh, felt somewhat legitimate. And this was a show that was, uh, had some very significant moments, including the debut of the Elimination Chamber, Brock Lesnar versus The Big Show, which, uh, of course, many people remember as the match where uh, Paul Heyman turned on Brock Lesnar. So uh, we also had a match with the SmackDown 6. Uh, we had the debut of or the return of Scott Steiner at Madison Square Garden. So um, I recommend this show. So that is up there for cafe members. Uh, I am very excited to announce that coming up Thursday, nothing from me and way. We have no show coming out on Thursday beyond this one you're listening to, but we will be back on Friday with a free G1 show. It is a rare free podcast covering the A Block finals, and we'll go through uh, some of our top matches of the tournament. Way, you are constructing a list? Um, I have my top 10. Okay, we will be sharing that on Friday's show, uh, going through the A Block finals and teeing up the weekend. And then for cafe members, we will have the B Block finals on Saturday, and then Sunday. It's the finals, and we're bringing in the heavy artillery. W.H. Park will join Way and I for Sunday's final, and we'll go through the whole tournament and get W.H.'s top matches of the G1 as well. That's coming up on Sunday. And don't forget, Rewind to SmackDown will be live Friday night, 10.15 Eastern for Cafe members. Yeah, and uh, along with that, a lot of really great writing on our site right now. We have from John Ceno reviews of Spring Break and Bloodsport from over the, over the weekend. Uh, Mark Buckledy and Mike Murray continue to write uh, written reports for all of the G1 shows. And of course, John Pollock and Andrew Thompson are always there providing daily news updates and everything else. Oh, let's not forget Davey Portman with his impact report. Yes. Uh, all of that can be found at postwrestling.com. And of course, we will have reports uh, on all the G1 shows right up to and including the finals uh, this Sunday with Mike and Mark. So let's move on over to Monday's draft edition of Raw. They did... A million eight hundred and fifty-five thousand viewers, so they were up twelve percent this week, um, getting the bump that uh, SmackDown did not experience uh, on Friday. Uh, they did a .57 in the eighteen to forty-nine demo, so they were fourth on the night on cable. Uh, this would be their highest number since August thirty-first, and if you uh, go back and if you take out those first two shows at the Thunderdome, this would be their highest since. June. So uh, they did see increases, 12% in viewership, 9.5% in the main demo uh, going against Monday Night Football and uh, the Braves-Dodgers game that was airing on Fox as opposed to cable. Um, they did see almost a 17% drop throughout the show. It was uh, a big loss in the third hour, which I don't know if if that goes to show that there was a declining interest over the show as you got deeper into the rounds where you're talking about less important people or the battle royal was not something that people were sticking around for. But it was a pretty notable drop in hour number three. But they bounced back with their 50 plus audience by 10 percent. Uh, the largest drop in the third hour was women between the ages of 12 and 34. That fell 17 percent. So. 
Uh, you take out the third hour. I mean, that would be maybe your uh, your worst news of the night. But as a whole, um, the draft seemed to mean more on Monday than it did on Friday for fans. I guess so. Um, I don't know. I don't know how how to how to really explain. You know, Friday doing worse or at least barely doing that much better, and then um, maybe a bit more of a significant climb on Monday. I mean, it, the rosters are the same. The shows are largely the same. So what do you think? Um, I, I think that it was obviously, I think, on uh, for whatever reason, on on Monday, I think that there was maybe some added interest. I don't think we should, like, overinflate the success either. This was still a show that year to year this draft was way down from what they did last year. Uh, but nonetheless, from what Raw's doing now, which is all you can compare it to, it, it's uh, – uh, a bit, a bit of a bump. Like this was their best they've done since they introduced the Thunderdome. It beat all their other summer numbers. So um, that's that's something. Um, you know, it's it's a tired point to make, but I just think that Raw, the the health of this show in a two hour format would just be so much more. I mean, if you cut out this third hour every single week, uh, Raw is like it's holds up much better over two hours, which I know is a uh, breaking news that that we can. Uh, we we can point to, but uh, is that beneficial to USA though? I mean, they they're happy getting those 1.6 million viewers from 10 to 11 p.m. That it's, uh, you know, and getting it 52 weeks per year as well. That's a big selling feature with WWE. That you know, this is not something where it's 22 episodes and then we got to fill that three hour slot for the rest of the year. You're getting this programming every week, so. I think obviously they are happy having that third hour and it's too, you know, it's always been like USA were the ones that wanted this third hour. So I think they are happy with it. Mm. So that was Monday's number. Um, We move on. Are you ready for some Conor McGregor news way? Oh, no, but please. Well, so here's what has happened. Uh, Our latest update was, of course, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier uh, trying to shoot their own angle on Twitter to do an exhibition charity fight. Well, what resulted in that was UFC reaching out and offering Conor McGregor a fight, but wanting to do so in January of next year, on January 23rd. McGregor uh, was down to fight Dustin Poirier, but he said it has to happen in 2020. He's willing to fight on the November pay-per-view or the December pay-per-view. And today, Dana White was on with uh, Brett Okamoto of ESPN, and he said, listen, that's the date we've offered him. That's it. If he wants to fight, he can. We've got our year laid out. January 23rd, that's the date. And hours later, Conor McGregor goes on Twitter. I accept. January 23rd is on. My goal is to see this fight take place in Cowboy Stadium, proper style. Jerry Jones is a friend, and the stadium can hold our crowd. I will be ready for Texas, and Texas will be ready for my fans. Then Manny. So to, to update everyone, Conor McGregor is now unretired. The Manny Pacquiao fight is now on the, on, on the, the back burner, and he is now unretired way, and he's also dictating where this fight will take place on the date. So with everything Conor McGregor states, uh, you always take with – um, not just a grain of salt, but then you you file that grain of salt down, and that is what you process uh, Conor McGregor's words with. Um, but if this happens, this would certainly be a, a big fight. 
Uh, God knows what he's expecting uh, crowd-wise to be in Cowboy Stadium, but uh, by January, uh, who knows? Maybe maybe uh, 80,000 people will be willing to go watch a fight by then. Ooh, yeah. Um, well, who knows if borders will even be allowed, you know, because um, certainly, like, to fill that 80, you might not have to maybe go outside of the country, but if it's a Connor fight, um, I'm sure that would make up a, a huge section of, of his fan base. Um I can't see it <laughs> filling up with that many people. At least I hope not, because January is not that far away. Um, you also have to imagine, like, this is yet another, like, he's making the concession that, okay, I'll fight on your date, but this is where I want the fight to take place. Like, there is a reason the biggest fights happen in Las Vegas, because it is so, it, it's more advantageous for UFC to run at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas with all of the, all of the added finances that come with running in Vegas versus going to a stadium uh, and, and doing uh, even even filling a, a stadium. So they can charge more in Vegas. They can charge more in Vegas. There's there's the the casino money that comes with it. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they run their biggest fights in Vegas. So uh, I would not classify this as a done deal, but more so. <laughs> the funniest part, actually, of this whole thing was that if you watch this interview that Dana did today, did you see, by the way, we I forgot to ask you this on Monday. Did you see the Joaquin Buckley knockout on Saturday? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes like you, even if I'm not watching you, any UFC, like you see the, you, you hear about these knockouts and you see these knockouts on your timeline. Spectacular. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, one of the greatest knockouts of all time. But anyway, Dana's talking about this clip and all the views and records it's broken for their like social media, uh, metrics that they have and he notes that it's the second mo it, it beat a conor mcgregor tweet for most retweets involving a ufc fighter and it's like several hours later conor mcgregor comes out with this tweet and it's like you if you follow conor enough like he's i, I very much think that he he saw this interview and and then he tweets this out later it's like okay. let's let's tweet something that will threaten this record that I'm accepting this fight for Cowboy Stadium in January. But anyway, we will see if this fight actually gets finalized. But there you go. It seems that they're at least agreeing on uh, on this date of January 23rd. And, you know, whether or not, like, how much how much of it co actually comes true, whether or not it takes place in, in at Cowboy Stadium. I mean, the end result is that people are talking about the fight. He's building up anticipation for it. Somebody like me who's not paying any attention to the UFC other than hearing about it from somebody like you, John is now aware of the fight and I'm actually kind of a little bit wanting to see it myself. So, I mean, whether or not anything he says comes true, like it's, it's still promotion for his name. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it'll be a very good fight too with, with Poirier this time around. It's a rematch from 2014. Um, you know, Poirier has, I, I think he's an exponent an exponentially different fighter from, uh, when he was fighting at featherweight in 2014, this guy is an enormous lightweight. It's amazing he fought at featherweight as long as he did. And the best choice was after that Connor fight, returning to lightweight. And you know that will be a difficult fight for Connor McGregor. And I, I think it will be a, a big fight, obviously, with uh, Connor McGregor. Connor McGregor fighting anyone at this point is going to be enormously big, which goes without saying. Um. An independent wrestler, uh, Dan the Dad, he was uh, part of the collective this weekend, and he came out on 
Wednesday stating that he has tested positive for COVID-19. So this is obviously concerning given, you know, what we talked about with uh, the collective last week. He wrote that today I received COVID-19 test results, which indicated that I tested positive. During the same time frame, some of those close to me have tested negative and I'm currently experiencing no symptoms. I plan on taking a rapid test first thing tomorrow, which would be Thursday, to be sure that the results were accurate and quarantine for two weeks, regardless of the second result. In being proactive, I contacted the other promoters and many of the people I came in contact with over the last weekend to make them aware of the situation. I want to assure you every show at the collective was carried out with the utmost concern for safety and those protocols remained in place throughout the weekend. I appreciate everyone's concern and ask for privacy as I continue to deal with this situation. Regardless of whether I am truly positive or not, everyone who attended should get tested for their own personal safety and for those around them. So, I mean, thankfully, he was only on one card. I mean, this could have been worse where he was on multiple shows, which many performers were over these three days. Nonetheless, um, this was a card that uh, it did feature wrestlers from Impact and not not to mention, like, everyone was sharing this ring. Uh, I don't know what the... Moxley. I mean, Moxley was... Uh, like, this Glory, this Glory Pro show took place on Saturday. Uh, and then, yeah... Moxley was there on the Sunday night show. Now, I imagine they were sanitizing the ring between shows, but I don't think they were sanitizing between matches. They definitely weren't on the Bloodsport show. Um, so, I mean, it, it's hopefully this is an isolated case, but I think that's, you know, certainly something that was a concern going in. And and what do you do if you are these wrestlers? Like, all of these wrestlers should probably, at the very minimum, be getting tested, if not quarantining themselves. And, I mean, there's shows are running. Shows are running with people that were on these cards involved and including, as you mentioned, like there were AEW wrestlers on these shows. Yeah, uh, it, it was a risk that everybody who attended and everybody who participated at the event was willing to take. Um, I trust that, you know, the collective were... Um, I guess, you know, doing everything in their power to pre- you know, prevent uh, sp- spread in, in the event that something like this might have happened. Uh, we'll see what happens and, and let's hope for the best. But this is an example of, I suppose, you know, uh, any any independent promotion looking to run multiple events in the same um, uh, weekend. Um, it's it's something that I feel will be we'll hear about a lot more in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously we wish him a a recovery, a full recovery from this. And also I think you need to, you know, it, I imagine that some of these wrestlers would be feeling very, I don't know. I'm glad that he revealed this Mm -hmm. and didn't like the fact he went and got tested. First of all, there could be a lot of wrestlers that even if they, uh, they just wouldn't have gotten tested and wouldn't even want to know. Uh, And also making this public, which should be automatic, but let's be honest, it's, listen, do, do you want to be that guy uh, to have to, So how how many cases have we heard about people revealing it only after the fact, you know, after they've, uh, I guess, passed through the, the, the illness and and all the symptoms when I think um, if, you know, in, in this event, if you shared a locker room, shared a ring with other people, it is absolutely like responsible to let those people know. Um, and really, I think as a warning, just even to the public that, Hey, like there are real risks involved with any of these events being put on right now. So it's just, it's just to me, like, I don't know, being genuine. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and if you, and if you're positive, you, you have to let people know, like you have to, um, you have to share that information. Yeah. So. Good for him. Like he, yep. he seemed to do it in a, in a very like responsible and just like, you know, upfront way. Um, Ryan Smile, who was a, a UK based wrestler, uh, passed away on Tuesday. Uh, his partner who uh, wrestles as Alex Windsor, uh, wrote that on Tuesday morning, Ryan passed away after losing his battle with mental health, a battle in which he had been fighting for a long time. I can't fathom the words to express how I'm feeling right now to anyone who knew Ryan, whether through wrestling or on a personal level. It's with an extremely heavy heart that I have to break this tragic news. Um, he had not wrestled since the end of uh, 2018 uh, and had been wrestling since I think 2006 was when he started. So he was involved with OTT, uh, was on their very first show, actually, in uh, 2014, facing Pete Dunne, uh, and then w- would go on to win their No Limits Championship. Uh, he won titles uh, with Rev Pro as well, and was also uh, started the Lucha Forever pro- promotion in 2016 with Will Ospreay, which shut down a year later. Um, probably the biggest match he was involved with in, I, I mean, was probably the biggest match in OTT's history back in April of 2017 at National Stadium. It was him, Osprey, and Leo Rush against Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks that drew 2,200 people. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he wrestled through the end of 2018. And, you know, as as his partner mentioned, uh, suffering from mental health problems. So I think that's uh, obviously was uh, dealing with a lot of problems. And unfortunately, this sounds like it was the most uh, a tra- a tragic end to... Uh, that particular battle. So uh, that was the uh, news today coming out of uh, the UK scene uh, involving him. We also have uh, another lawsuit filed by Joey Ryan. This is a $10 million lawsuit that he's filed last month, actually, against Anthem Sports and Entertainment, the parent company of Impact Wrestling. He has filed this lawsuit in Nashville uh, over a breach of contract issue over his release this past June Uh, After the allegations had surfaced against him, uh, it stated in the lawsuit he was notified by Scott Demore by email uh, of what measures they were taking and then received his formal release later that day uh, that was signed by Ed Nordholm. He had signed a deal in September of 2019, uh, and the length of the contract went through August of 2021. And Ryan is noting in the lawsuit that in the contract, it's written that if there is some issue, there is a five-day cure period that if the promotion uh, presents to the talent, they the talent has five days uh, to handle it with the company. And if, no, no, if nothing can be worked out, then Impact had an additional uh, 30 days to resolve any problem, and then they could terminate the deal 30 days after that time period. So he's claiming... Uh, breach of contract here that he was released and they did not live up to this uh, par- portion of the contract. And he's claiming substantial monetary damages to his income, damage to his reputation, and also seeking reasonable attorney fees along with any further and general relief that the court deems appropriate for him. Uh, Anthem was served with this and they have uh, they have several more weeks to respond to this. And this uh, adds to the number of lawsuits that uh, Joey Ryan, Joseph Meehan has filed. He has six now that he has filed. So, uh, and seeking like enormous um, damages in all of these lawsuits over uh, his wrong, his, his 
uh, breach of contract that he's alleging in this one, and then the other allegations that have come forward. So this is going to be uh, a lot of lawsuits concerning Joey Ryan in the future. See what happens. Paul Heyman did an interview with Ariel Hawani today, and it was uh, interesting. They went over uh, several topics, including uh, Heyman's departure as Raw's executive director. And Heyman painted it as a very amicable split. He said when he took this job, he told Vince McMahon that the day Vince McMahon wakes up and is not happy to have Paul Heyman running Raw, he doesn't want the job anymore. He said he went through that once where Vince McMahon did not want him in a certain position of power, and it was miserable to work in that state. So one day he said, I served at the pleasure of the chairman, and he no longer wanted me in that position, and we left it with a handshake and a hug, and then he has now transitioned to this role with Roman Reigns and heavily pushed towards uh, matches of Roman Reigns with Daniel Cormier, um, I think by design here, doing this interview uh, to know that Daniel Cormier will likely be watching this and pushing the Rock match as well with, with Roman Reigns. Uh, he didn't really have much to say about Brock Lesnar other than he, his gut is that Brock Lesnar is not going to do MMA again unless there is uh, such a, a great challenge for him, uh, but thinks that he got all that settled when he fought Mark Hunt at UFC 200. And he says Lesnar is not under contract with WWE right now. He's happy being a father and a farmer at home. And he'll go back to WWE if he's enticed with some kind of challenge to go back there. And talked about the uniqueness of having to cut promos without fans in the crowd. He very much misses the fans. And talked about who he thinks are you know the big stars that he enjoys watching right now in UFC. And named uh, Israel Adesanya, Jorge Masvidal. McGregor, Khabib, Amanda Nunez, and the Diaz brothers. So, I mean, there was not, uh, I would say, a ton that Heyman really uh, revealed here. But, you know, he's, this was not going to be uh, the time in his career that he's going to be um, combative over uh, the way things ended as executive director. And for all we know, uh, perhaps he had his fill of that for a year. It's, that's probably a super high pressure position that, um, maybe after a year, he's he was totally happy to be relieved of that added duty. I have to imagine by this point, like his what like third term, maybe even more than that. Oh God, it's been it, yeah, like, it's been a turnstile of like times that he's been in the creative process, out of the creative process. I mean, going back to two thousand one, like the guy had to know the drill by now, and and probably knew that you know this was a very kind of volatile position to be in for anybody, um, and. I I would hope that he probably took it all in stride. It seems like by this interview, um, it appears he did. Otherwise, I'd be, um, I, I mean, I, I, it seems way more fun, honestly, being a performer, cutting promos, and dealing with all that other stuff back there. Oh, and I'm sure he is super. Like, no, no question that he seems super engaged with this Roman Reigns. Like, it feels so fresh. It's it's working so well. I mean, I'm sure. Like, once you go through that grinder of being in that creative process, to be told, like, certainly, like, it's a demotion, but at the same time, what a load of stress that is off your shoulders when you go through that every single week. All the late night meetings, plans changing on a whim, and then you can just come in, do your thing. You you know, he's very hands-on with this this program with Reigns. 
Uh, and then my ha- question- having people like AJ Styles cut promos on you <laughs> on the internet. That is, that as well. Yeah, that did not come up. Uh, but what what do you see? Like, has Paul Heyman had his last creative position in pro wrestling? I won't even say WWE in professional wrestling. I don't think so. Um, I think he's always somebody who is seen as talented enough. And really, uh, it seems like he's very c- current and modern enough. He's keeping up with like um, a lot of, I guess, you know, what, what's current in MMA at the very least. And he seems like he seems to still have, have his like a really good eye for talent that I could see them defaulting back to him at some point. If not WWE, then maybe another company coming around with enough money to uh, have his services. Because to me, he still seems to be a very, you know, um, talented, creative mind. Um, it's just it's just not the right environment. And it, where, maybe it, it never is. I, I just don't know where, if not WWE, uh, you know, the, the obvious one is, well, AEW. I, I don't know if AEW would want to upset its creative structure and, and put in a Paul Heyman. Like, I'm sure he's got his 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 fans there. But I don't know. I look at AEW creative. It's like, do I would I want to upset that now? I, I would say no. And if it's not AEW, I, I don't know where... He fits in otherwise beyond uh, a WWE. And I guess there's always that possibility of, you know, 18 months from now, another creative shakeup and Heyman, you know, it's a very small circle of people that Vince McMahon relies on in those, those, those head creative roles. And Heyman is one of them. And Bruce Pritchard is another. Well, who could have seen like the formation of AEW even as an option two years ago, right? Two, three years ago, maybe at this point. So, I mean, you know, Heyman's, he's not young, but he's not really old, you know, not old, too old to like ha- um, be able to write wrestling. So, I I mean, I wouldn't write him out as a, you know, as having his last go around as a creative lead at a wrestling show. How about in WWE? You could, you could, could you see that uh, w- once again, mm. uh, fi- finds himself in that role again? I don't know how long his current contract is. Um, that that might be maybe more of a likelihood. Sure. Last thing here is uh, for, for the G1, just to catch people up on where everything is. So for the A block, we've got Jay White, Kota Bushi, and Kazuchika Okada, who are pretty much the, the three that are alive. I guess there is a formula that keeps Will Ospreay in, but it is super confusing. Um, I, I, I don't unlikely. really... Very highly unlikely. Jay White, uh, just to quickly go over this, Jay White wins uh, his A-block match against Tomohiro Ishii on Friday. He advances to the finals. That's all he needs to do. And that's the main event. That's the main event on the show. So that is what it will likely come down to is uh, a win or a loss for Jay White determining everyone's fate. Um, For Kota Bushi to win, he needs to beat Taichi, and White can't beat uh, Ishii. Uh, and therefore, that would allow uh, Bushi to finish ahead of Jay White. Because in a tiebreaker scenario, White would have the tiebreaker over Abushi. Abushi can also draw Taichi, and Ishii beats White. While Osprey beats Okada, Abushi would still advance. Uh, and then Okada, Okada's, uh, he needs a lot to happen. He would have to beat Osprey. White would either have to lose or have a draw with Ishii, and Ibushi would either have to lose or draw with Taichi. So I, I think that one is next to impossible. Uh, there's a chance for Okada, but it's a small one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. So once again, pre-show Friday, we will go through all of the the A block. But now it's into AEW's big one-year anniversary special from Daly's Place. And, you know, they promoted way. They're going to be back at Daly's Place next week. And that will be the third consecutive week at Daly's Place. And it seems like they are trying to run weekly or at least uh, as as many you know, weekly shows as, as they can do. It doesn't seem like they're doubling up on tapings. Well, I guess it makes sense if they're going to continue to let audiences in um, on a weekly basis, right? Um, rather than, I guess, subject them to four hours of wrestling. Yeah, I don't know. So they show Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford playing the arcade on the floor. This time, this would have a payoff. And in the ring are FTR and best friends for the tag title match, our first of four title matches. And Tony Schiavone is looking back at the past year and calls it the greatest year of his professional life. And he actually had a slip up here talking about 1990 when he meant to say 2019. And him and Ross got a good chuckle out of this because that was their time in WCW that Schiavone noted was was not a great time. Was 1990 that bad? I guess for them, I didn't. I, oh. I, I mean, in in WCW, I mean that's uh, Ole Anderson's booking. I guess there's a. It was quite the time period. Okay, that was like that was like RoboCop. Maybe that's what comes to mind when they think of 1990. Who? Ross says that AEW has made wrestling fun again. They got the heat on Trent for a while. There was a chant of "You're a weenie," and. Then he delivers a ba- uh, there's a back suplex by Harwood off the top to Trent Wheeler then lands on the knees as he comes off the middle rope and Chuck gets the big hot tag hits a Topecon hero to both men on the floor Tully then sweeps the leg but Chuck kicks out and he goes after Tully but this allows Harwood to hit him from behind uh, they double team Wheeler with the soul food half and half suplex and then a shining wizard by Trent for a two count Wheeler gets sent out of the ring with a tornado DDT and they hit strong zero on Harwood, but Wheeler returns, making the save. Taylor then takes a snap suplex on the floor, and Wheeler gets sent over the guardrail by Trent, who goes after him, and Wheeler is by the arcade. And Trent ends up charging at Wheeler, and he goes headfirst into the arcade, destroying it, and Kip, St- Kip Sabian is just devastated, and he sends Penelope to go get him. Meanwhile, Cash Wheeler has the belt, Chuck Chuck Taylor stops him, returns, and Rick Knox then hides for cover, and this allows Wheeler on his second try to get the belt shot, allowing Dax Harwood to pin Chuck. Uh, This one went about 17 minutes as FTR retained the tag titles, and uh, then we'd get into the post-match. I thought uh, both teams worked really hard. It was a very active match. Um, Good action. I... You know, I know, like, maybe AEW, like, really likes to start their shows off, like, really hot, right with everybody in the ring. But I do think there is something to be said for just, like, some of the pageantry, especially when it comes to, like, a title match, you know. Um, it, I, I, at the very least, like, maybe a bit of a an entrance, if not, like, a bit of a video. I I think for me, just kind of might get me a bit more into a match like this. But if we're just talking bell to bell action, I, I thought it was very good. Good match. Yeah, I thought I thought it started the show off well. Uh, a lengthy match, too. I mean, they got a lot of time here. Um, the best friends hugged one another when Miro runs out and he attacks them. 
at the prompting of Penelope Ford, and that would take us right into our next match with Miro and Kip Sabian against Lee Johnson and Sean Maluda. Miro takes Maluda to the floor, destroys this man, throws him into the guardrail, knocks Johnson off the apron, he goes into the guardrail, and then it's Kip Sabian with a splash. Miro is immediately tagged back in, stomped to the back, and game over in a minute 52. So this was a first where... In uh, different countries across the world from one another, we got two finishes with the game over today. Oh, that's right. Wow. Yeah, yes. two moves named the game over. Um, just, a, you know, a squash match for Miro, destroying Maluda. I don't... Did Sabian even... Or sorry, did Lee, uh, did Lee Johnson even tag in? I think Johnson was only knocked off the guardrail. I don't think he was even tagged in. Mm. And Sabian was in there really just for the splash, and that was it. It was really just Miro murdering these guys, but... That, that's what you want to do with Miro. This was a significantly better presentation than that, that disaster we saw a few weeks ago. With the video game dude. The, the, um, the I was talking about the match. Oh, Miro. yes, yes. Uh, yeah, strong booking of Miro. I'm still not really sold on this like video game character. Uh, yeah. Video game enthusiast slash um, Bulgarian monster. Uh, but let's let's see. Let's see. What do you think about the dyed hair? Uh, you know, I, I think a, a fresh look is good. Um, I don't know if it necessarily looks good on anybody, honestly. But wrestlers kind of it kind of screams like fourteen yeah. year old, you know. Well, that's kind of the character, isn't it? Just plays video games and yeah, waits. Well, okay. Kip Sabian then cuts a promo on the best friends, destroying their arcade. Miro yells in Bulgarian and then says, good friends, you break my shit, game over. I like good friends more than best friends. I think good friends is a great name. (laughs) The good friends. Then we see Lance Archer attacking John Moxley backstage while Jake watches and he rams Moxley's head into the table. This led to Alex Marvez with like the best, most logical question later on in the show where he asked them, why? Why would you do that? It's a great question. Your title match hmm. is an hour and a half away. Why would you compromise this match? I mean, you just hate somebody so much. Can't stand it. You know, well, that's, how, that's how much this rivalry... Um, you know, uh, that's how, how how crazy it is. They revealed the brackets for the Eliminator Tournament, where the the finals will take place at full gear, and the winner gets a future AEW title shot. And the tournament will begin next week. Um, they didn't say we were going to get all these matches. They just said it would begin next week. And we're going to get, on one side of the bracket, Penta against Phoenix and Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela. On the other end is Colt Cabana versus Hangman Page and Jungle Boy versus Wardlow. So, I mean, unless they have some grand plan, I mean, they are they are screaming that this will be Omega and Page at, at full gear without deliberately advertising it. Man, it almost seems too obvious, but, I mean, that's not a bad thing either. You know what doesn't suck, though? If we get Omega and Phoenix on TV in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, Omega and Pentagon would be awesome, too. Which means on the other side, you might get either Hangman Page versus Jungle Boy or Wardlow. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting, too. Surprising that they would put uh, Penta against Phoenix. 
Yeah, which, I mean, Eddie Kingston said is going to be Hagler Hearns. Okay. That's not... That's that's a great uh, promise for television. Now, what was weird was they said it will start next week, but they didn't say what match we're getting next week. Yeah, they didn't. Um, and it's kind of unusual for them to like not be very specific about what's to come. So maybe they aren't even sure yet. Um, yes. MJF and Wardlow came out, and this was for the big groundbreaking announcement. He says he's accomplished more in this last year than all of you meaningless schmucks have in your entire lives. He's here to stay on top, and he calls out the man he's looked up to to hear his groundbreaking announcement, Chris Jericho. So Jericho comes out with the inner circle. They're all wearing their jackets except Sammy Guevara, and the crowd is singing Jericho's theme and MJF points that for future reference, you are all off key. And he wasn't wrong, to be quite honest. Like, they were cutting to people that were at, like, different points of the song uh, this this was not the most in sync crowd. I don't expect a whole lot from a a wrestling audience. Guevara is finally presented with his jacket. Jericho urges him to put it on, as Sammy calls it a stupid jacket. He puts on the jacket, and this thing is gigantic. It it, it like Sammy Guevara like disappears in this jacket. They said it was built. It was made for Andre. He said it was a five XL. <laughs> This is a very funny visual. MJF takes note of Jericho's body, the condition he's in, and he wants to touch his hair. And they do this big lead up to MJF touching the man's hair. And Jericho tells him to cut the shit. Okay. What's this announcement? MJF says that you and me are the biggest minute to minute draws. You're the demo God. I'm the ratings ruler. And together they have dominated AEW. He brings up Jericho at home watching Animal Planet, which Jericho clarifies he hates Animal Planet. And MJF notes that Animal Planet is not under the Turner umbrella. So they can bury this network. They state that if you watch the Animal... If you watch Animal Planet, two piranhas are never seen eating one another because they have mutual respect. Him and Jericho are predators. And their prey is starting to adapt, and therefore they have to adapt too. What if we work together? And he is all tongue-tied. He's trying to build it up, and he finally swallows his pride and asks to join the inner circle. And Ortiz cuts him off and says, we don't want you in the group. Jericho instead says, we need time to decide. So next week, would you like to meet one-on-one for a steak dinner and they shake hands and give all the enthusiasm and energy as though they were going to have a a first blood match. They are going to have uh, a medium rare steak dinner together. And Jericho says he's never wanted anything more than this steak dinner that they will have next week. And as they leave the ring, Hager and Wardlow stared a hole into one another. Another awesome segment with these two. And I'm really? sure the steak dinner is going to be great. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it might be. I don't know if they're going to do the steak dinner like in the venue or or just like around the venue, like in a pre-tape. But I, anytime like, you know, you have creative lines, like go out and, and shoot something like this. I mean, I'm sure it's it's going to be really interesting and fun. So. 
I think the story is like cool. I'm digging it. I thought MJF was spectacular in this segment. What do you see happening at the pay-per-view with Jericho? Yeah, well, we got three weeks, right? So in that time, you could definitely build something up with te- between these two. My my gut tells me that they they will let MJF into the inner circle, and that might lead itself into some form of, you know, tag match involving mm-hmm. Chris Jericho with MJF, perhaps uh, against another team uh, or a six man or a multi man tag match, and you'll kind of get some dynamic about maybe you know how loyal exactly MJF might be. Something like that. Do you that. think that this thing kind of gained, like? It seems like the first like face-to-face they did right after the last pay-per-view. Like Everyone thought it was great, and it's like, here's a long-term story. And it seems like they just jumped on that and saw the momentum because the Jericho Hager thing seems like it's been not forgotten, but put aside for now. Like This has mm-hmm. kind of trumped whatever they were building up. Like Jericho and Hager, for instance, like even being in the tag picture is not even mentioned now. It seems like you could go a whole direction of Jericho and MJF teaming uh, for, for a time period or something, but it, it almost seems like they put all their chips into the, this with MJF and Jericho instead. Yeah. You're right. That, it, that seems to be kind of uh, forgotten about, or at least it hasn't really been mentioned for like several weeks now um, in lieu of maybe something like this for the inner circle. So it's very possible, you know, who knows what the initial thinking was when they put these two together. But um, I would say like going into full gear um it is i mean it, it's going to be one of the harder programs let me try to think like what what else is like you know better than than it right now like well, obviously like what's going on with like page and omega you know um the bucks versus ftr if that's going to be the match at full gear which it probably will be i think that'll be pretty hot too but this is like i think this would be up there if they do something interesting then we had the most ridiculous segment of the night it's tony Schiavone and Britt baker at the spa together. So Tony is shirtless and presumably naked under this towel, interviewing Baker at the spa as Rebel comes in with rule number five for Baker, be the baddest bitch on the block. And then she realizes Tony is naked and screams at him. And then they proceed to wax the man's chest and... Baker is putting the division on notice. She gives shit to Tony for missing work after being super kicked by the Young Bucks, and she will be in action next week. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly a segment that uh, I cannot properly describe without the visual component of Tony Schiavone's chest being waxed. Yeah, that almost felt like it was just like extra footage they decided to put in there. But um, I guess the visual highlight of it I, I didn't think that this was as good as some of the segments we had from Britt Baker in the past. I thought it was okay, um, but I I I don't know. I wasn't as big, a big of a fan of it. Cody and Orange Cassidy for the TNT Championship. Blonde Cody is back. Yeah, yeah. Black-haired Cody was only like a two-week thing. Yeah, he's not going to the dark side. So I guess they wanted him to, or he wanted to like dye his hair black for the TV show. Then go back to blonde for wrestling. Is he? Does he have the black hair in those trailers that that ran for the show? I can't remember. I don't remember. But Maybe. Um, yeah. And who knows what else? Uh, what other stuff he might be doing? Darby is showing seated up high by himself in the crowd, and they would announce during the match that he will challenge for the TNT Championship at Full Gear. So that's our first match we have officially announced for Full Gear on November seventh. Mm-hmm. 
So Cody starts and he's circling around Cassidy, who just stands there. They tease a test of strength, but Cassidy puts his hands in the pockets and Cody shoves him. The glasses fall off. Orange kicks them away and they engage in a collar and elbow tie up. And we see some technical wrestling from Orange. During the break, the announcers make note of their growing UK audience on ITV. Cody would come off the top and an orange delivers his weak kicks, but then catches Cody with a super kick and a tope suicida. And this is where we see all of the Dark Order minus Brody Lee at ringside. And John Silver grabs the title and he goes to attack Cody, but he's stopped by Orange Cassidy, prompting the Dark Order to be ejected by referee Paul Turner. So we get into the rest of the match where the crossroads gets countered and Orange hits a stun dog millionaire. Cody then leaps to the top with a Cody cutter and he drop kicks Orange in the knee and wraps it around the post and would focus on the knee of Orange Cassidy. Ross is Ross is very good here conveying the pain that Cody's in from last week's dog collar match with the, the neck was taped up and he's got all these uh, lingering effects from the dog collar match that he's dealing with. But Cody is pushing through, and he's getting cocky. He does the push-ups after a two-count, and Jim calls it wasted energy. Cody then hits an inverted superplex off the top with Cody landing on the bad knee. Cody then gets caught by Cassidy and hit with the deep impact off the top, but he's limping around. There's a Michinoku driver for a two-count, and suddenly there's four minutes left in the match. Cody stops a beach break. He applies a figure four, uh, but Again, Cassidy gets out, and he lands the beach break on the apron. Both men are on the floor. They roll in. There's a double clothesline spot. Cassidy fires up, but the orange punch gets countered. Crossroads is countered, and a swinging DDT. Cassidy's on fire. He goes for the beach break, hits it this time, and it's the biggest near fall of the match with Cody kicking out with 30 seconds left. And as orange goes for the orange punch, the knee gives out. Cody tries for the crossroads in the dying seconds, and it's countered into the mousetrap. And with that, the 20-minute time limit expires. The second time, they've done a time limit draw on uh, AEW. And we get no winner here. I like the booking. Um, I think, you know, I liked it more when they announced that we would just get the rematch in two weeks. Because I felt like... Uh, well, the whole thing is definitely leading to like Orange Cassidy winning the belt, and to do it in two weeks again is a little perplexing to me. Like right before the the Darby, well, I guess you you might get Orange Cassidy versus Darby Allen. I suppose that would be the direction. But um, on this day, like I I did enjoy the booking, and part of the reason is because they've only done two. This was only their second time limit draw. They've been using them so sparingly. So to me, this feels less like a cop out. Um, it feels, you know, like almost even like a unique, significant event to have something like this happen. So, uh, the match itself, it, it's never an easy match to book Orange Cassidy against another baby face. But I think, you know, Cody has been such a great TNT champion up until this point because he can play such a variety of roles. You know, um, he did a great job here, basically like being the heel in this match, setting the scene to make Orange Cassidy have to be serious. I thought they had just the right amount of gimmick for Orange Cassidy and just the right amount of serious competitor for him. I liked the match a lot. I thought it was the best match on the show. Um, I liked the time limit draw. And I think this one, you know, it was weird. When they did the Moxley and Pack one, it was not that they had reached like 20 minutes. It was like the television time remaining. So I think people were kind of thrown off by that. But I think like 
obviously, like we've looked at like two of the best Young Lions matches of this G1. They're the 15-minute time limit ones. It's like it can be really exciting if you build it up right and the urgency of those that final minute or two. And I thought they hit it here, and this was with a limited audience as well. Um, I, I thought both – it was a very – very strong match, and you have a logical reason to come back with the rematch. Um, yeah, and I I don't know which, which way you go with this match in, in two weeks from now. Um, I guess you could, you know, the, if this was WWE, you would say 100% we're getting a three-way at the pay-per-view. I hope that's not the case. Hmm. Yeah, that almost seems like a little, it would kind of confuse the stories a little. I mean, mm-hmm. You set Orange Cassidy now on a path. This is his second time challenging for the TNT title. And even though he he was unsuccessful the first time against Brody Lee, Brody Lee this time um, still unsuccessful, but getting closer to that goal. So you're definitely setting him up to like ultimately accomplishment, accomplish it probably in the third try. Uh, but, you know, to have the Allen match already announced prior um, definitely makes it a bit more interesting. I guess you can have Allen, you know, cut promos on both of them in the lead up to it. Um, but you know, you can also have orange Cassidy lose in a, an, another unique way, which, um, you know, I look forward to seeing if they can manage that. Cause I, I think that at that point they would definitely be risking like having orange fail a little too much, but is um, now, yeah. Do you think the timing is right to do like presuming Cody keeps the title to do that Cody Darby Allen match again? Because I mean, that was the, Criticism of the last one was okay. Allen loses this one, but I, I think like the next one, he he's got to beat Cody. Uh, do you think the timing is right to pull the trigger with that? Not necessarily. Like to me, like the Allen Cody story is more of like a brother, you know, older brother type of relationship. Even though like Allen's kind of got that with Moxley as well. Um, but like I can see like you know his being more of like an like an Okada Sonata story where like it'll take him years before finally beating Cody. Um, so I, I think I think less of that one. I, I feel like Orange Cassidy, though, is already at a certain level. He's not so much like younger brother character to me, and he's instead more of an equal to, to, to Cody. Uh, at least like that's the impression that I have right now coming off of the Jericho feud and seeing him in a match like this. So I I don't know. I, continue, I, I expected them to do this title change tonight. So in two weeks, I would expect the same, but... Um, they could come up with another another out. The last thing is, I mean, it's they have done it several times, but it's they don't always get a match announced two weeks in advance. Do you think that that is, you know, just being being smart, knowing that the the Halloween Havoc show that we're going to promote a title match two weeks in advance, knowing that NXT is going to have a big show that night? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's what it is. I mean, they they probably might have done it anyway. Like they they have. Uh, for like the special occasion shows, like maybe even this show, they might have announced some matches, like the 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 Archer Moxley match. They announced like several weeks out. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm sure you know maybe maybe it's a case of wanting to counter program, uh, or maybe it's just something that yeah, like I would have to think that maybe maybe it was a case of counter programming. I do think that there is going to be a lot of divided interest that night. That even if you are someone that always watches AEW first. I just think like the nostalgia value of Halloween Havoc is pretty strong and they're going all in on it. They're doing the spin the wheel, make the deal. It's and it's like a Halloween themed show, I think is a really smart themed event to do for one of these shows. So I think there's going to be 
a lot of interest in NXT that night, or at least a lot of people flipping back and forth that maybe traditionally just watch AEW straight through and watch NXT later. I wonder. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I feel like a lot of people are like DVR people already right now. So uh, we'll see. This is where Alex Marvez interviewed Archer and Roberts asking, why did you attack Moxley? And with that, Moxley attacks them and it's announced this will be a no DQ match later tonight. Matt Hardy was in the oh, crowd. He had, he had blonde hair, by the way, on the, on, in the trailers. Who was this? Cody. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes. Well, maybe it was an, maybe he's got something, some other role going on that he needed to have play. Yeah, he had to. No one just dyes their hair for no reason. No. I guess right. that's, that's not true. In wrestling, people dye their hair for no reason lots of times. Tony Schiavone is with Matt Hardy and his entire family. They're in the crowd. He says he feels practically perfect, and he's cleared to return. But then a video plays on the screen, and it's various photos of Matt Hardy, and an unknown person uses a Zippo lighter to light them on fire, and it's Sammy Guevara, who literally takes the Vince McMahon line, it was me, it was me all along. He was the attacker. I think this was the least dramatic reveal of the year for a wrestling attacker. He took out Matt's knee, busted his face, and he's going to send him back to the hospital. And it's not over until you're sent home for good. And Matt is pissed at Tony. He said, did you know about this? Is this on the run sheet? And Tony is just as surprised and apologizes to Matt. So Matt's pissed, but he says he's coming for Sammy Guevara. So... The the most cursed feud of the year will continue between these two. This was met with a huge groan for me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they. I suppose they might want to finish the match and the program that they had set out. But to me, like this is a feud that's turned off much of the audience for the many casualties that it's caused to the both of them. Uh, and it's a pairing I personally was happy to see conclude. And I really have no interest to see again. Bringing it back right now after all this mystery. You know, you really, anytime you do a mystery opponent it's or a mystery attacker, it's like the pressure's on you to, you know, introduce somebody at the very least, maybe new, maybe making their return. This is just going back to the exact same program that we had just seen with Matt Hardy. So to me, it felt like a really big disappointment. Not to mention the fact that this guy who's now trying to be the serious heel, we just saw it in 5XL jacket as a joke in the segment prior. Yeah, it's... um. I think Matt Hardy has had a real struggle since coming into AEW. It just doesn't seem that anything has has clicked in a big way. Um, and, and this it, feud has... Some perplexing decisions. Like, why? I don't know. The, the stuff with Private Party, to me, like, it's not really... Clicked. It just seems... There's been so many... It just seems like every... They've come up with all these different ideas, and they've thrown them all against the wall on TV, on being the elite, and it's like we have not had... Any consistency with this guy, it's just all over the place. And I don't know how to view Matt Hardy. It just, it doesn't seem like he has any solid role in the body of the program. Uh, and this feud about is like the only consistency that they've had over the last like two months. So they're going back to it. Um, yeah, it just, I guess to me, it, like this has been a really rough uh, run in AEW so far for Matt. Well, he went from like the multiple personality thing, which I think like, I think was amusing, but maybe at some point they just, Thought it ran its course. Then, like, they moved him to regular Matt Hardy as a coach of Private Party. And then all of a sudden, they transitioned from that to, like, this kind of, like, 
hardcore wrestler Matt Hardy, which I don't know anybody craving to see. You know, he was doing the deal too, where he would like it was like which version would show up. He'd be like the Omega Matt Hardy. It was like, well, that, that? Was, yeah, I do remember that was like the first thing he kind of came in with. I thought that was actually abusing. Um, but like he dropped that, and instead, like in the Sammy feud, like like became har- hardcore wrestler Matt Hardy, which I I don't know anybody really wanted to see something like. Anyway, it's um. Uh, there, you know, the spotlight's going to be on them again for for a match. Um, I imagine it would probably have some sort of stipulation attached to it, and the, everybody's going to be really nervous. Um, so this time around, I hope it's safer. How about we do a? Uh, it's got to be a, a lumberjack match. They have to stay in the ring. Sure, they'll find a way to bust each other open. Doing that too. Our next segment featured the tag teams on the stage, and Tony Schiavone announced that next week there will be a four-way tag match to determine the number one contenders for FTR and face them at full gear. And they're going to select four teams at random, which right off the bat kind of negates this whole ranking system, does it not? Yeah, it kind of does. Like, we just huh. did the gauntlet to establish the the last number one contenders, and that was done in a totally logical fashion, relying on these rankings that you've pushed. And this, it was like, the rankings don't matter at all. We're just going to pick random teams that don't don't have any stake to uh, the titles. Beyond one team. One team that legitimately, uh, I mean, is going into this as re- uh, credible contenders. So by, they picked... By ac- well, yeah, by random draw. Exactly. by yeah. By total fluke. So they drew the names of Private Party, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, who looked like they had just gotten called down on The Price is Right, The Butcher and the Blade, and The Young Bucks, which Tony is pissed having to read their name. The Bucks come in, they shake hands with FTR and have an intense stare down. Nick says, we're not here to kick, super kick you, Tony. Instead, they super kick Butcher and the Blade and Silver and Reynolds. Everyone brawls, and the Bucks and Private Party are left in the ring. They shake hands. They brought up the upset from last year, and then they super kick Private Party. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any other result to this other than the Young Bucks winning. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of this setup because they have gone above and beyond when it comes to explaining stuff like this, uh, that this just felt completely at random to to do. So, I mean, I guess beyond that, like, I mean, FTR have kind of been, like, doing an open challenge type of thing, haven't they? Where, like, anybody can, like, challenge them for, like, a tag title opportunity? Or at least, um, wait, they're non-title opportunities, aren't they? No, they're for the titles. Oh, even the the, the 20-minute deals? Yes. Right. So, I mean, in that sense, I mean, that already kind of defeats the purpose of the of the rankings, but you're right. Like for something this formal, maybe, you know, the expectation is for AEW to pay to, to at least mention, you know, so something to do with the rankings. Oh, okay. Once a year, you can randomly draw somebody from even the bottom seat coming into the top. Um, my guess is like, you know, partially it's like, they just need a way to really like set the bucks off for this title opportunity. And maybe something in a bit more of a dramatic fashion than just, you're ranked number such and such, and you get the shot. Uh, it's another way to get, put the profile on a team like Silver and Reynolds, who are definitely picking up steam. Same with the Butcher and the Blade, uh, and Private Party as well, who have like the, I mean, three other teams that I would say have been 
uh, pretty prominently featured over the past month uh, in the tag team division. So it's I guess they just need a reason for another match before the mm-hmm. uh, pay-per-view. Yeah, the rankings that they have, the latest ones, it would go in order. Uh, best Friends, Young Bucks, Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall, The Butcher and the Blade, and then Santana and Ortiz. So those would be your top mm-hmm. contenders. Okay. Next, we had uh, Hikaru Shida against Big Swole for the AEW women's title. They noted that Big Swole has won seven straight matches uh, and thus gotten this title opportunity. On the floor, Shida hit her with this running knee lift, and she's uh, yelling into the camera. And then Swole comes from behind, knocking her into the camera. Swole uh, later hits a high kick and a cutter onto the ramp, another cutter into the ring, getting a two count. And Sheeta comes back with a straight jacket German, a knee to the back of the head, and Falcon Arrow getting a two count. Swole hits dirty dancing, and Sheeta can only grab the bottom rope to stop the count. She tries again for dirty dancing, and it's stopped with an elbow strike off the knees and the Tomoshi by Hikaru Sheeta. In 854. Uh, I like the match. I, I thought that they had like uh, they had the commercial break in the middle of this. But uh, from start to finish, like I, I really had no complaints about this. I thought it was like a good nine minute match here. I wasn't as big of a fan of it. You know, um, I, I feel like there's certainly like a lot more pressure. You could even say for uh, a women's division uh, championship match. Um, and I, I thought this was like far from flawless. I I felt there were several flubs and maybe even awkward moments throughout it, and um, to me, like I I didn't really think the crowd noise was all that strong on this show. And again, like being the being a live show, I I know they mm-hmm. can't play with canned crowd noise. That to me affected this match and really all the matches tonight as well. But um, I it, it made this match to me feel like a weaker part of the show. They also pointed out uh, Nyla Rose watching on and certainly pointing you in that direction for the next challenger for the title looks like they'll go back to Sheeta and nyla rose uh not many other options right now you know i i think um swole seemed to be next in line and this was kind of like her cashing in uh the the brit program um i think you see a match like this and i feel like she's not ready for a position of like a championship level yet um hopefully like with more honestly she needs a whole lot more character development as well so maybe you know a second go around maybe a heel turn somewhere in there will refresh her a bit um nyla rose i think it's it's kind of like returning to a bit of a default program you know Mm -hmm. um so i can't say they've done a whole lot with karoshita over the past several months i mean she gets occasional title defenses but as far as like any other story or character um it's been nothing um so they Britt Baker continues to be like sort of like a looming, you know, big challenger for her. Um, but the rest of the division definitely needs work. Yeah. I mean, you you just don't have a whole lot there. It's just kind of like we're just who who's who's there, who's available, and they get plugged into these roles. Um next week they plug the the four way tag match that we just uh went over for the number one contender spot. The eliminator tournament begins. That's that's all we know. And Le Dinner Debonair with Jericho and MJF going for steak. Mm-hmm. So by, by AEW standards, this was like not a whole lot that they were announcing for next week. But I guess there's enough 
possibilities of the Eliminator tournament, I think you're you're led in the direction that you're getting uh, something like Phoenix and Pentagon, but I don't think that was ever stated outright. Hmm. Yeah i I don't know. I don't know if they know what what they want yet for next week, or if we'll find out during the week. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So they've got three weeks. So I mean, you could split up the opening round matches over the next two weeks, and then do the two semifinals on the go home show. Uh, maybe right. that's what they'll they'll end up doing. And then they announced Cody and Orange Cassidy in two weeks' time on October twenty eighth uh, for the TNT Championship. There was a video on Scorpio Sky and Sean Spears. Spears says he is not stalking Scorpio Sky. Sky's a nice guy, but he's a thief for stealing a moment of his, and they plan on collecting. The moment he was referring to was on Late Night Dynamite when he was about to attack Matt Seidel with the black glove. So, What a moment uh, that was lost to time. I'm honestly surprised like this even made dynamite because it really feels like it's a it's it, like it almost feels like he's exclusive to dark now I, and I would even say same for Scorpio Sky like they're two talents that we've really not heard much from lately and they weren't given much material here to try to build a, a, a storyline um I can't really say I have, I have much interest for it but uh the match could be good um and I think they're both neglected talents that like definitely deserve some airtime on Dynamite. I just wish the story was better. And then Eddie Kingston came out in a Vladimir Guerrero Expos jersey, along with the Lucha Bros. And Kingston would be on commentary for the main event with John Moxley, Lance Archer, no DQ for the AEW title. The produ- uh, production member gets tossed through the entrance by Lance Archer, which, man, did you see the promos Lance Archer enlisted on his Twitter today to build up this match. Uh, I saw the Monty Brown one, and I, I believe Minoru Suzuki did one as well. Minoru Suzuki did the greatest 15-second promo you're going to hear, just being Minoru Suzuki. It was great. And the Monty Brown one, oh, my God. This guy is just incredible. So, so he just left the industry? Like So he was he was in WWE – and then I, I feel it was like his niece, it was like his family, like he had to get off the road to help his, I think, sister's child or something like that. It was like he had to take care of family members. And that's why he got off the road. Like it was just something that, you know, he couldn't be on the road while helping out his family. And he's just, he never came back. And this was like, man, this was over a decade ago. But what a mm. promo. Still got it. Yeah, man, I would just be like, hey, just this guy needs to get on cameo. He would be able to just stay home, just do promos all day. So Moxley and Archer, they immediately see Moxley hit the paradigm shift and Archer kicks out at two. He goes for another and they're tackling uh, each other to the floor. This is when uh, they get back in. Archer hits the pounce in honor of his pal Monty. And then a cannonball off the apron to the floor. The blackout gets stopped. Uh, There's these tables that are set up on the floor. Moxley gets all these chairs out. And Archer gets off the shoulders of Moxley and chokeslams him through the chairs for a near fall. Then Moxley goes for an ankle lock. They get to the floor. Archer attacks him with a trash can. They're on the edge. Moxley hits a low blow and hits a paradigm shift off the apron, putting Archer and himself through the tables on the floor. 
into the ring they go. There's a paradigm shift in the ring, only a two count, and then he goes to the bulldog choke, which Eddie Kingston notes is the move I never tapped out to and never said I quit to. Archer is able to break free, and he hits the blackout, but Moxley kicks out and in the process uses a crucifix to catch Archer in 12 minutes and 46 seconds, retaining the AEW title. Strong physical match, like good TV hardcore match. Um, I, I, I thought it was a satisfying main event. I, I, I was surprised that they would like be so, um, I guess giving with like their, their finishers, you know, you had three paradigm shifts here and Mox, you know, the blackout, which Moxley pretty much like no sold same with like Archer with the last paradigm shift. And, um, they're usually maybe a bit more protective of them, but, um, I guess they wanted to make this a big enough match. Um, it was satisfying. I can't necessarily say it was like, you know, man, one of the best of the year, that type of level. Um, and I do wonder if like maybe the, again, the the lack of like maybe crowd sweetening might've had an effect on me. Maybe it's like, you know, me being used to like G1 level quality up until this point, maybe that having an effect on me too. But I, I agreed with you. I thought the Cody uh, orange match was, was probably my favorite of the show. It was a very good TV main event, but it was, um, you know, for, a match they built up for a month like this was, you know, it was to me, like it was a good main event. That That's as far as I'd go. Uh, Archer continues to attack Moxley after the finish. So Kingston sends Pentagon and Phoenix to go help him. And Phoenix hits Archer with a chair shot that Archer no-sells. And Kingston is in the ring playing Peacemaker. Jake takes Archer away, and Kingston is giving props to Moxley. He says he's known him since 2009. This man has carried the company. He's proud of Moxley. No one's better than you. And Moxley's got this skeptical look, but he's standing there. And then Kingston raises the arm of Moxley, and then boom, spinning back fist, and he knocks down Moxley, applying a rear naked choke, and he chokes Moxley unconscious. Kingston says, it isn't over until I say it's over. And by the end of this, it certainly uh, seems to be that they're building up towards um, like an I quit match or something at, at the pay-per-view between these two. Something where he has one of them has to submit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. It would seem like it was it would be a stipulation that would make sense for these two. I, I it, it definitely makes you wonder like if um the original plan um was was for these two to meet for the first time at full gear rather than, you know, them doing sort of the emergency match as a replacement when Archer got taken out of that show. Um so the question is, you know, will there be as much interest in a rematch after you had Kingston pass out the first time? And I think so. Um I think especially with these two the money is in the buildup with their their promos. Um, yeah, just let these guys talk for three weeks. That's all you need. Exactly. You know, this time getting the match with the full story, uh, Kingston perhaps getting to flesh out a bit bit of their history together. I, I look forward to the TV maybe as much as the match itself. Yeah, I I'm just purely guessing here, but man, it feels like Eddie Kingston came into this company and he talked and worked himself into a pay-per-view main event. That's what this really feels like, that they saw, like, look how this guy has caught on and delivered in all these segments. This is the most interesting challenge we have at this moment for for Moxley. Like, we don't have um, any other heels that seem 
naturally ready for this now. And Kingston, we've already introduced this story, and we can we can milk another match out of this with the, with Kingston saying he never gave up. Um, I think this is as good of an idea as they have uh, on a show where you could certainly make the argument if you're doing FTR and the Bucks uh, that they could end up closing the show with that tag title match. I think that's what I would do. To me, that's the the bigger matchup with the longer build. Um, mm-hmm. I think Moxley versus Kingston is, you know, like a good uh, semi-main. Um, but then again, if it's like going to be super violent, I could see them closing with that one because that might be that much tougher for like a pure wrestling match to follow. So um, as a just, you know, at, at this point, you're talking about like what 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 the combination of matches are that you're going to be presenting to people and um, the promise of like a hardcore style match involving these two, I I think is a good addition to what you already have for the pay-per-view. So at the end of it, I mean, I thought the AEW title match, the TNT match and the tag title matches were all very good matches. Um, I can't like break down this show and uh, complain about it too much, but I will say that for the overall theme Jericho's anniversary felt like it was such a bigger deal than AEW's own anniversary tonight. Like this just felt as though the titles being on the line were like your big hook. Um, it just didn't feel like they really touted like their their own anniversary all that much tonight. That is true. I mean, during one of the picture in pictures, they did show highlights from the year that um, the past year. And that was kind of about as much as you had. Um it's not like you have any shortage of highlights for the past year either on this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't so much a maybe. Maybe they're afraid of being self-congratulatory, and if that's the case, why well, really call it the anniversary show? But I, there's also like no room on this show for anything more. Like they are squeezing everything into these two hours. Is the the usual feel I get by the end of it. And that's kind of like what I was getting at, like at the beginning of the show, where I feel like a little bit of pageantry will really go a long way, um, whether it just be, you know, uh, getting like full on entrances or video recaps um, or, you know, in the case of like an anniversary thing, like bragging or showing off about like, you know, your people's favorite moments over the past year. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe people don't give a shit about that and they only want to see the bell to bell stuff. Um, certainly like going into it, my anticipation for the show was quite high. Um, with with all the titles being defended, but I don't disagree with you, John. Coming off of it, I don't know if it met my high expectations, and I don't know how much of that was due to the in ring quality because I think the the in ring was really good, uh, but mm-hmm. may, or maybe more so than just the atmosphere. You know, maybe you know some of that, some of those bells and whistles, or maybe it was just perhaps you know to me like again a live crowd without that crowd sweetening that I've I'm, I've kind of gotten used to now. Um, that might have taken it down a notch as well. I, th- I think the atmosphere like uh, affects it. I think that if we compare now the Thunderdome, the the Capital Wrestling Center, what we're watching on New Japan, like to me, mm-hmm. these live dynamites are kind of the. Uh, I would rank it fourth among among those options. Depends what you look for. I mean, you know, some some people probably hate the Thunderdome, or maybe they might not like New Japan, where people can't chant, but. Um, none of them are perfect solutions. And I'll, no, I'll you're, say, you're you're working with what you've got available to you, and that's that's yeah. kind of that's the game, uh, right now. Uh, let's go on over to the forum at forum.postwrestling.com tonight. You gave the show a seven point three eight, and uh, another question for you is that with this week, no NBA to go against, uh, no no debates, 
Um, and this anniversary show getting, you know, promoted, especially the Moxley Archer match for a month. Uh, do you see higher or lower 900,000 viewers for Dynamite? So what did they do um, recently that was over 900,000? Uh, if you give me one show? second, I can uh, pull it up for you. So they did see some of the ones where they were – they had those unopposed weeks that did uh, right. very good. So we had – okay, look. Last week they did seven thirty-five. The last time they did, uh, they did a million. They, were, they did a million sixteen thousand on September 9th. That was unopposed, though. Mm-hmm. Um, the week prior to that was nine twenty-eight on September second. I think that was. I don't think they were head to head that week. Maybe they were. My gut tells me just under, like somewhere in the high, like eight fifty to nine hundred range. Okay. How about you? We will find uh, tonight. I I think that they will be. I'm thinking right around the 900 mark. I think if you're lower than that, I think like they should be up. Uh, especially from last week. Last week they were going against the debate, which you kind of just throw that number out. I, I would say 900 for the for this one would be kind of where where you would at least want to be at for the fact all four titles were being defended. I think that should matter, and you have your world champion. Uh, defending the title as well. Yeah, Cody versus Orange Cassidy, I think, is a big match. I mean, all the matches had you know pretty decent build and uh, featuring big names. So, yeah, we'll see. All right, our first piece of feedback comes from MJ. Jericho and MJF had one of the best promo in ring segments I can remember in a long time. Both guys were on their A game. Moxley is one of the best booked and worthy champions since Okada's two-year reign. I love the way he's been presented in AEW and his run as champion. I wish they weren't running back Cody and Orange after a great use of the time limit draw and would much prefer a three-way at full gear. Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone are a gift to wrestling TV when they do these segments together. The crowd with these with, was either much more vocal tonight or better mic'd. With AEW continuing to run out of Jacksonville, I will try to get up there to take in a show, maybe full gear, depending on the card. Though after All Out, I may need to see another pay-per-view before making that kind of commitment. So MJ, like, feeling different about the, the way the crowd sounded. So, I mean, maybe maybe he's right. See, uh, we go to Noah from Vaughn, who says, For a show that had no title changes despite four matches, I thought it was a really strong offering from Dynamite tonight. Cody, for the second straight week, stole the damn show. He and Orange Cassidy's match was incredible. MJF and Jericho's segment was probably the best thing on the show. They continued to just be gold together. 8.5 out of 10 show. Full Gear already is shaping up to be a great show with Darby versus either Cody or Cassidy, Finals of the Tournament, Bucks versus FTR, and Kingston versus Moxley. With Kingston never tapping out to Moxley, what are the chances we get a lights out match at Full Gear between the two of them? We haven't seen the lights out match since last year's Full Gear, and I'm curious if you guys think they bring it back this year as well. Yeah, I mean, if if you don't do like the the I quit or submission gimmick, uh, the lights out match, they they could do that. And I think was that not like just that, a like, you know, um, no DQ match? Like, what what was the lights out concept again? The lights out concept is that it's completely unsanctioned by the company, so it's a no DQ match, pretty much. Yeah, um, okay. which I mean, there was such a vocal response to that last time that they did the Moxley Omega match that. I certainly see them going back to that at some point, and that's like your one feud a year that you do that with. That's a possibility too. So. Yeah. 
Andy from London. I have loved AEW for the past year. It's been the best year of episodic wrestling I've ever watched. This show, however, was a bit of a disappointment. The build in anticipation was so high, and for me, it did not deliver. A very messy Eddie Kingston promo to end the arcade game goof with Kip Miro and best friends and a raffle to determine who gets a tag title opportunity. I expect better from this great show. I did, however, like the Cassidy-Cody match and look forward to the rematch in a few weeks. As for the direction for Full Gear, it looks like they might be going to Kingston for the title again. Do you think this is where they'll go? Yes. My concern is, again, it feels like odd booking. An unranked Kingston gets another title shot on pay-per-view after just losing three weeks ago. AEW has trained me to expect much more logic from the booking over the past year. He gives us a 7 out of 10. Well, who is the uh, number one ranked right now? Probably well, isn't Eddie Kingston. I mean, we'll just say that. But It's not Eddie Kingston, no. Uh, I can pull this. up the rankings here. Yeah. You go, you I go mean, through the next I mean, I think they are, yeah, they definitely face criticisms when they don't go with these rankings every single time. Um, I I think... Okay, well, here here's what we do, what we can... You've got Lance Archer, number one. You mm-hmm. just beat him. Brian Cage, who Moxley also beat. MJF, who Moxley beat. Then you have Brody Lee, who I guess is coming off that loss. And then you have Scorpio Sky, who should be f- pissed. <laughs> You're right, yeah. Why is Scorpio Sky feuding with Sean Spears? Um, and the question is, I mean, you know, Eddie Kingston is just a hotter program. And... um when you have things like this, you just, I don't know, you throw your hands up in the air and just say like, hey, let's just go with this. It's like, this this shit's just, <laughs> I, 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 I personally don't expect them to stick to these ranking things all the time. Um, I don't know if they. Listen, uh, you, you yeah. have to be able to play that, that balance. And this, it, this is a weird comparison, but I'll make it anyway, is that. When Bellator did their tournament format, they had this rigid tournament where you had to win the tournament to get the title fight. And in theory, it's like they presented it that no title shots are given. You've got to earn them. So what happened was in 2011, Michael Chandler wins the tournament and he faces Eddie Alvarez. And it's this incredible fight. And at the end of it, all you want to see is this rematch, but the the tournament dictated that Eddie Alvarez would have to win an entire tournament, go through three other fights, which are going to take at least a year, until you can book the match everyone wants to see. And comparing it to AEW, if they had done tonight's match where Moxley beats uh, Archer, and then you have the announcement that, well... Based on the rankings and who Moxley's next challenger is going to be, on no notice, Scorpio Sky gets the next shot. I mean, there's no buildup for it. And I think it would be the colder match that you're going to as well. Well, they so, obviously, they would do a Scorpio Sky segment instead of an Eddie Kingston segment. But, I mean, the Eddie Kingston program is just juicier. You know, he's a heel uh, than Scorpio Sky would be. So, I... This at is, the same time, if you are going to use these rankings, I think like you do have to give an explanation as to why. And that can simply be uh, they haven't announced the match that Moxley demands the match. And I mean, there's a way that you can if you just give lip service and give explain that this did go into our thinking that, that the rankings are there. You, we can't just 
forget about them this month and then acknowledge them next month. The reason is because um, he had a match against John Moxley and he didn't tap out is is maybe the reason that they would give. Um, I sometimes like I just I think it's really important, like especially when you're a promotion that kind of prides itself on like logical booking that you think about these things. Other times, like when I'm watching WWE, I just really switch my brain off. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, um, Alistair, uh, Sami Zayn being drafted, like towards the bottom, whatever. Like it's, it's just wrestling. Um, this might be one of those cases where like, I, I cut him some slack. Um, he goes on to say as, uh, okay. Oh yeah. Decent show. Seven out of 10. Okay. Jesse from Montreal. I felt that they tried to cram too much into one show. They have title matches so often they don't feel special to me anymore. And we see the same characters each week. Having the world champion on should be a big and comparatively rare event, not a weekly occurrence. As a result, there are guys like Phoenix, Penta, Ben Carter, Scorpio Sky, Colt Cabana, who hardly ever get featured at all. I'm interested to hear what your thought was about the Jericho MJF segment. I thought it was just awful. I've seen better acting from from troops who go from middle school to middle school to put on plays about the dangers of bullying. And why are FTR willing to cheat to win matches, but unwilling to win by countout? I also don't find Lance Archer very interesting or good, and those brawling segments were a stupid waste of time. Baker and Shivani, as well as as Eddie Kingston, were the highlights for me. I thought the Jericho MJF segment was great. I think that's like the best story they've got going right now. I mean, I I just simply don't really watch wrestling for like great acting. I do sometimes, but like to me, that segment was more just like about... I mean, there was subtext there. It was like MJF, um, uh, you know, there's something brewing underneath uh, their motivations, uh, whether it be MJF or Jericho. I mean, like for me, it's just, was I entertained by the segment? And I thought MJF was just really funny. So I could, I I could understand your frustrations if you're looking for like good acting. Um, I I, I don't think that's a complaint that many have coming out of that segment, honestly. Like I, I, I would be stunned if people were complaining about the acting in that. I just, I just don't think that's enough of a criticism you're going to hear from the audience at large. All right, we got a Trevor finally from Edmonton who says another strong show from AEW. I thought tonight's show flew by and there was a good mix of talking segments and in-ring action. Especially enjoyed Cody versus Orange and didn't mind the time limit draw when you have a high quality match like that. I'm very intrigued to see what happens with MJF and Jericho. I feel like it may be too too soon to get to a match at full gear between them but I'm not sure what other matches they could be involved in. One complaint from me for a show as big as this one, I would have liked to have seen something from Hangman or Omega. That'll be next week, I guess. Uh, could be next week. Yeah, they had uh, they had nothing there. Um, I, I would say like the best stuff for them, that was all on being the elite this week, which is, I mean, it, it does totally feel like two different shows that are going on. It's supplementary programming that that'll get you more invested in in the story if you happen to watch it. Um, it doesn't seem to be you know a required viewing. Um, I have to imagine that they'll you know convey some sort of story as the matches progress. I think really the tournament will probably tell the story itself. So they have three weeks to really heat that up. Um, and yeah, the, the very likely that that match is is taking place at full gear between uh, Omega and Page. Um, as for like MJF and Jericho, I don't think they get to the match just yet. I mean, it feels like a bit more of a long-term program than that. Um, and you already have a pretty stacked card if the things, you know, the matches pan out the way they do pan out. So if it ends up being a tag team match, for instance, involving MJF and Jericho teaming together, I think that'd be satisfying enough. 
Yeah, you you can certainly in, involve the inner circle in some way, and like, will they all get along? It's like Jericho and MJF. It's like uh, they're they're the dad's got a new girlfriend, and will the kids get along? Hmm. Yes. Maybe maybe we'll get a family dinner. That'll be at the pay per view. They'll all go out for a steak dinner. All oh. of them. You know, food has definitely been a big um, promotional tool uh, for Chris Jericho this year. Mm-hmm. Start off with champagne, then a bit of a mimosa, steak now. He's going off to the main course. You can't eat on an empty stomach or drink on an empty stomach. What's, what's for dessert? Full gear. That's the answer. They're going to go up for ice cream. Full gears. Yes. Okay. Gear. or Yeah. Okay. Maybe. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for your feedback. We always appreciate it. And you can go uh, hop on over and check out Up Next as they run down Wednesday night's NXT show uh, from the Capitol Wrestling Center. Uh, So Brayden Davey will have a full rundown of that. Way and I, after a much-deserved day off, let's be real, uh, come back on Friday, and we will have two shows for you. G1 Climax going through the A Block final and then rewind to SmackDown on Friday night, where Roman Reigns will take on Braun Strowman, way. Yes, um, for the WWE Championship, or the Universal Championship, I'm, I'm sorry. How did Braun navigate the rankings to get, get up there? Was that win over Dabakato? Did that springboard him right to the top? That I have zero explanation for. Um, I'm sure they'll break it down, all the analytics that went into this decision. You know, it, it's certainly not down to audience demand. I can't, I can't say it was that, so... Who knows? You don't think he's going to win the title on on Friday and and take the title to Raw? I'd face, love to see uh, the betting Keith odds Lee next week. Yeah, how does that? How do those statistics break, break down? Can we get um, the same New Japan uh, G one calculators on that? We'll, we'll we'll work on a system. We'll we'll come up with it for Friday. All right. Thank you, everybody. We're done. Goodbye. <laughs>